You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. We've had a a little break in between lessons, but we're going into lesson number three. Uh, We've been doing a series on you are what you eat. And uh, that phrase, of course, uh, you've heard that before, whether it's good or bad, uh, you are what you eat. And we've been doing a series out of the book of Ephesians. And uh, so I'm just going to pick up with the next lesson. We kind of ended um, just at the very first part of Ephesians chapter 2, and um, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says this, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, uh, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so, Uh, The chapter 2 starts out very simply just speaking about, and you, that's you and me. That's not just one of us, that's everyone in this room. Everyone is uh, on the same level. Okay, so when it comes to our walk with God, God desires every one of us to have uh, a walk with Him. And so when He's speaking about, and you, it's not just one person or one individual, but it's speaking about the group. And Paul's saying, and you, everyone is included, you have the same resurrection power within you. And what he's talking about is if you and I have the presence of God in our lives, we all have the same power. Same power. You know, um, people classify people. But when it comes to you and I being a Christian, there's only one thing that defines how powerful we are in God, and that's His Spirit. And He doesn't give some people a little bit of spirit, and some people a diluted amount of spirit, and some people, no. The Spirit of God is the same Spirit for everybody that desires to have that resurrection power. And so I thank, I thank the Lord. And He said that we were dead. Well, he's, he's speaking about us spiritually. He's talking about it in the sense of spiritually being dead or separated from God. The separation from God is uh, no different for any of us. Every one of us was born in sin, shapen in iniquity. That's what the Bible says. That's not based upon what family you were born into. It's not based upon what city you were born into, what country or what language, what culture, none of those things. Every one of us needs a Savior. We're all, everybody was spiritually separated or spiritually dead and in need of the resurrection power of Jesus. So my life without the Lord is spiritually dead. I'm alive physically But that does not mean that I'm alive spiritually. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be alive physically. I enjoy being alive physically, but there's something great 
about serving God and having your life alive spiritually. Your day is different when you have the Spirit of God in your life on a continual basis. And so just as the body is, uh, is separated or, or the, your body is separated from your spirit, it cannot function, obviously, if that happens. If, if your body and spirit separate, um, then we're, we're standing around uh, either looking at you while you're in a box or weeping over you in some capacity. You can't separate the spirit and the body. So your spirit separated from God's spirit cannot function spiritually just as your, your natural body separated from your spirit can't function naturally. So what's the idea behind that? Well, the idea behind that is the resurrection power of Jesus, when it touches your life, it not only allows you to be alive physically, but it changes your direction spiritually. How? Well, it doesn't, it's not based upon uh, how much good we do or how much bad we've done or uh, none of those things uh, determine whether you can have resurrection power with God. See, physical death, that silences the body, but spiritual death silences the spirit. And I'm not interested in walking around as a dead person. Okay? Obviously, you can't do that physically, but I'm not interested in doing it spiritually either. I'm not interested in coming to church and not being alive in God. Okay? Other than that, you get to be part of a religion. Religion is boring. A walk with God is exciting. A walk with God is rewarding. A walk with God is refreshing. A walk with God is joyful. Yeah, something happens when the Spirit of God touches your life and you have a relationship with Him. And so that's how Paul starts chapter 2. He said we all were dead. He says that in verse 2. Uh, we, we, we can try to make ourselves uh, feel alive, but without the resurrection power of Jesus, you can't do that. And you'll notice uh, he says, wherein in time past he walked according. Here's this word according. We, uh, we talked about it in a couple lessons so far that the, the root word of that word according comes from the term chord, or we see it in music. It's, it's harmony with one's pleasure, purpose, and power. So God wants you to have a life that has pleasure, purpose, and power. That doesn't mean everything's going to go smooth in your life. But if you have resurrection power in your life, then there's something that strikes a chord. There's a harmony that happens that doesn't matter what your day's like. You've got a faith and trust in God that everything's still going to be okay. And he says in verse 2, listen, there's a prince and power of the air. He's trying everything. That's the enemy of this world. He's trying everything in your, in, in, uh, possible with your life for it not to live in harmony. He doesn't want you to have purpose. No, he doesn't. He doesn't want you to have power. He doesn't want you to realize who we are in God. And so he actually is continually trying to get us into an area of disobedience. The Old Testament word for that is stiff-necked. A stubbornness, uh, noncompliance. To the word of God. The enemy is continually trying to mess our lives up 
with disobedience. Because he knows if he can get us into a realm of disobedience, we lack power. Our purpose will be, will be hidden. It'll, it won't come to the forefront. And you won't enjoy living. But it's a good life living for the Lord. There is purpose in your life when you understand what God has in store for you. Everybody in this room, God has purpose for your life. No matter what anyone else has told you, God has purpose for your life. I can assure you tonight. You say, I don't know how that could ever happen. Let me tell you, one step at a time, one day at a time, one, one outreach to, Lord, uh, to God each day. And listen, he'll develop a purpose in your life that life will be worth living. Yeah. Um, so this is how he starts it. And in verse 3. Among whom also we all have bad our conversation times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He's basically telling us before God, there was a lot of things wrong in our life. A lot of things wrong. But, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. He loved you. Before he ever had a commitment from you that you would love him back. He loves you whether you ever do love him back. His love is not based upon circumstances. His love for you is not based upon whether you ever care for him. His love is not based upon whether you'll ever serve him. His love is unconditional. He loved you before you ever were thought of. He loved you before you would ever love him. But God, who is rich in mercy. Now listen, he, the solution for you and I is his mercy that he loves you so much with. What does the Bible say about his mercy? It's everlasting. It's new and fresh every morning. It's as far as the east is from the west. You can't go uh, far enough that you, that you run out of mercy. His mercy is everlasting. And so this is how he, he says he loves you and I. In such a way that you could never outlove him. What an incredible God. I'm sure you found yourself in situations in the past where maybe you felt like you loved someone more than they loved you. Sometimes that happens. But you'll never have that happen with the Lord. You'll never be out, able to outlove him. Because love is not something he does. Love is something that he is. Love is his nature. Love is his attributes. Love is not based upon whether you do good or bad. His love for you doesn't change no matter what's happening in your life. He may not like what I do, but it doesn't change his love for me. You can't do anything to make him love you more. And you can't do anything to make him love you less. Love is not something he does. It's something that he is. And so this, this passage that Paul's talking about here, picking up with verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. So 
what Paul's saying, we were born dead. We were born in need of being quickened by his spirit. When, when people become Christians, one of the hardest things to do is to, uh, re, is to retrain or get across to people that they don't have to continue to operate according to the world. The world is not your friend. It's not. It's not your friend. Uh, listen, uh, look at this example. It took one night for God to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. It, the, the world is not your friend. And so what has to happen in every one of our lives is that old man, the past, what we used to be, has to be quickened by the presence of God. And it does not matter what your life used to be. Oh, there may be consequences according to society. But when it comes to God, doesn't matter what your past was. Hallelujah. When he forgives you of your past, he quickens something in your spirit that the old person passes away and the new person becomes new. Something happens in your life that he gives you pleasure, purpose, and power. Yeah. You're not dead anymore. That's what happens. So if you and I are changed by God's presence and we're not dead anymore, then we shouldn't act like it. There's no such thing as a gloomy Christian. No. No, you got too much to be excited for. You got too much to be thankful for. You got too much to hope for. You got too much to trust in. You don't have to be gloomy. And sad and depressed and overwhelmed and stressed. No, something, uh, something changes when God's spirit affects your life. And this verse says, by grace ye are saved. Grace is not God's ability to overlook our sin. It's the ability he gives to us to live above sin. He doesn't condone what happens in our life. But his grace says, listen, you don't have to live at that level. You can rise to a new level in me. You can rise to a new level of change. The power to change is by his grace. Yeah. This is what he says in verse 6. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When he says he's raised us up together. You can. Uh, you, you and I. We can't be. Blessed outside God's body. You are made, he says, to sit together. Your victory depends upon the presence of God in your life. Listen, there's going to be times when you're going to see people and things, everything seems to be going fine. They don't know God. They don't walk with God. They don't serve God. And everything seems to be going fine. And that may be the way it is for a season. But when... Things strike and tragedy takes place and difficult times come. They don't have the source. When you walk with God, you have a relationship with God. You have God quicken your spirit. Doesn't mean you don't have bad days. Doesn't mean that uh, bad things don't happen. Bad things happen to good people. That's the way life is. 
The difference is you have a source to go to. You have something to rely on. The presence and the power of God gives you the strength necessary to get through the day, the circumstance, the trial, the test. Whatever the case is, you've got something to put your hope in. That's why the enemy is constantly trying everything in his power to mess up your life so that your walk with God becomes powerless, got no purpose, and it's just a sad, old, gloomy day. I don't know about you, but I refuse to let my life be that. God's been too good. He's too true. He's too faithful. He's too just. Everything about him is pure, and everything about him is lovely. And I'm going to make sure, make sure, put a determination in your mind. You know what? God, I'm going to put my faith and trust in you, and no matter what comes my way, I'm going to depend on your grace to live above what's trying to destroy my life. I'm not talking about having our nose in the air and thinking we're better than anyone else. For by grace are you saved. And we'll see it here in another verse. Verse 7 says this, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That he might show. God likes to show what he's done through your life by his grace. If you were here on Sunday evening, it was in the message. It's to show his glory. It's not to show how awesome you and I are. It's to show how awesome he is. It's not to show how many things you and I have accomplished. It's to show what he has accomplished through your life. His grace through your life brings him glory. Yeah. It's kind of like the Lord saying, look how much I've done with so little. Look what has been accomplished through such insignificance. That's when he picks up and he adds, Paul does, in verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And what he's saying is you and I cannot do enough to earn it. We're never going to be good enough to deserve it. You don't have enough money to buy it. You can't do enough good things in life to be able to earn it in any facet. It's by his grace that you and I are saved, lest we should boast. It's, it's not by our works. And so God did it so that we can walk in it. Salvation is maybe the most elastic word in the, in the Bible. You hear words like justification. So like, well, what's justification? Justification is dealing with your past. I was saved. I was saved. From what? Well, I was saved from the penalty of sin. I was saved from the wages of sin. The second word is sanctification. It seems like, again, another word. What does that mean? It just means presently I am being saved. 
I'm in the continual process of God still working on my life no matter how long I've been in church. So in sanctification, he's still working on me for me to overcome the power of sin that's in my life even or trying to attach itself to my life even today. Justification is God has given you the ability over sin from the past. Sanctification, God's given you the authority over sin right now. And then thirdly is the word glorification, where I will be, you will be saved from the presence of sin, that there will be no more sin. When you get to spend eternity with the Lord, you're not going to have to worry about overcoming sin. No more sin. No more temptation. No more trials. No more tests. So think of it this way. God is saving us from sin of the past. He's saving us from sin right now. And he's preparing a place where there will be no sin. That's a great elastic word or definition of the word salvation. Salvation is, is, is a continual process of him working in my life in the past, working in my life right now, and continuing to work in my life as long as I am here. And that's why he says in verse 10, we are his workmanship. I am a work in progress. I am. My wife's being careful not to nod, but I am a work in progress. That's what the Bible says. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. God is working to the outside what uh, he has deposited on the inside. We are created to live for him to the best of our ability, to do what we can for him because of what he's put inside of you. He quickens you by his spirit. The spirit inside of you causes you to live for him to the best of your ability. We are his workmanship. I am a work in progress. The old song says, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It's a process, folks. You never reach the place where, well, you know what? I've arrived. I've, I've, I've got to the spot where I don't have to keep trying. I've got to the place in my life where nothing else is now going to matter. No, you, you're a continual work in progress all the time. Yeah. He says that we should walk in them. Literally, we should order our lives by what God has desired for you and I to live. What's that mean? just means God whatever your plan is for my life that's what I want to follow whatever that plan is that's where I want to be I want to be right in the center of your plan God I don't want to be trying to figure it out I, I want to be right in the center of what you want for my life some sometimes people are well I, well, I wonder what the will of God is for our life and they make the will of God so complicated the will of God is just walking with God to the best of your ability in whatever place or state that you're in. It's not some fantasy world. You having God remove sin from your life, keeping sin from your life, 
preparing a place for no sin, salvation in your life. He's working the will of, his, of him inside of your life. We make it some mystical place where only certain people get to be. That's, that is so untrue. If you're in the presence of God, serving God to the best of your ability, you can be absolutely in the will of God right where you are. Thank God for it. And uh, he says in verse 11, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that, which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands. Uh, he's, he, all he's simply saying is remember and appreciate what God has done in your life. He uses words um, that we could go into explanation for. It simply means appreciating what God has done already in your life in bringing you into communion and covenant with him. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Simply saying, he gives a list of individuals, but the key phrase is having no hope. Doesn't matter where we came from, what our society status was in life. If you didn't have hope, then we were lost. But that all changed when we came into communion with him. When he quickened your life, when he changed your direction, when he took away sin in your life, when he gave you a purpose and, and pleasure and, and when power, I, I mean, it filled your life. Your, your whole life changed. No longer are you without hope. And that's why he says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, what was is not what has to be the focus. Just remember where he brought you from. But now, he said, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We were brought into this communion with him because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Not that he's still on the cross, because he's not. The resurrection power that happened at the cross is the same resurrection power that quickens you with his spirit. Same power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that raises you and I from the dead spiritually. Exact same. Verse 14 says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He is our peace. Christ is not only gives peace, that's temporary, but he is our peace. That's permanent. It's one thing to, it's one thing to have peace uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a regular basis or a daily basis or on certain events. And I'm glad for the temporary peace of God. So that's peace that he gives you. But that's not only what he is. Again, peace is not just something he does. Peace is something that he is. He is the prince of peace. And so that peace is eternal. That's permanent. When he quickens your life, he takes your life from 
chaos and brings structure. He takes your life from turmoil and brings peace. He's the prince of peace. How is it that a Christian can go through similar issues in life as someone else and it not affect them the same way? Because there is a peace that God has given. Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 4. He speaks about the God of peace and the peace of God. You can read it in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, 8, 9. He talks about having the peace of God. Then he tells you in verse 8 what to think about. And then he says in verse 9, the God of peace. I can have the peace of God if I know the God of peace. And all of that depends on what I think about. In verse 8, you can read it in Philippians 4 and 8. It tells you all the things to think about, things that are true and lovely and of good report and honest, virtuous. What we, what we eat is what we are. Okay, you become what you eat. Okay, I'm coming to a close here. Almost done. Everyone okay? Oh, good. Here we go. Having abolished in his flesh, verse 15, the, the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Verse 15, he's talking about, uh, uses this word enmity, uh, or it means great hostility or extreme conflict. And the law was the root cause of that hostility. But Jesus came to fulfill the law, came to fulfill the law. And he abolished the conflict. And so he says, make it in himself. Jesus became sin that we might become righteous. He took your sin upon himself so that you could live right. I'm so thankful. The wages, Paul said, of sin is death. There is no way that I could pay the penalty for the sin in my life. But Jesus paid it for me. He paid a debt he didn't know. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And that's what Jesus did. He became the sacrifice for my life. He took care of that hostility. He made himself sin so that I could live righteous. Verse 16. We're almost done the chapter. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. When he's talking about people who are far off, he's speaking about Gentiles. He's speaking about people who are nigh. He's speaking about Jews. Basically what he's doing, he's collecting everyone. He said, no one is excluded. No one is excluded. Every one of us have, as he says in verse 18, access. This is what he says. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. No one is more important than anyone else in God's eyes. That's a man-made thing. When the Bible says he is no respecter of persons. That's exactly what it means. He is no respecter of persons. 
we all have access into the presence of God, into his royal uh, presence. When, when you see this uh, access, it, it actually is a formal word of presence of a king or deity where you and I have access to the royal audience of the king. What it's saying is not just a few people are allowed in. Anyone who desires, and that's why the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. In chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, let you, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every one of us, have access into the throne room of His grace to find mercy. Oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You can take a hold of the scriptures tonight and realize that you have the same access into his presence as anybody else. Oh, thank the Lord for that, or we might all be in trouble. Okay, verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Do you know what he says? When you're in his presence, you live here. You live here. You're of the household of God. You don't have to just visit. You don't have to just come by when you're good. You don't have to just come by when you feel like you've done enough things that it's going to be okay. No, no, no. You can come boldly into his presence you are no more strangers and foreigners, but rather fellow citizens. You're of the household of God. Who am I talking about? People who have been quickened by his spirit says, you know what? I don't want to live the same way uh, that I used to. I want my life to be what God wants me to be. I want to live in his presence. Yeah. Says we're built upon the foundation, verse 20. Of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We are built on the foundation of the apostles, New Testament, and prophets, Old Testament. And all of that is good, but there's only one cornerstone. And that cornerstone is Jesus. Thankful for the prophets of old. I'm thankful for the people who have lived before. But everything you and I are doing is not for them. Everything you and I are doing is not for someone in this room. Everything you and I are doing is not for someone you know that you think is important. There's only one cornerstone, and that's Jesus Christ. It is his presence that quickens your life. It is his spirit that changes your future. It is his presence that gives you purpose. It is his presence that gives you power. It is his presence that allows your life to be the way he desires for it to be. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together 
or inhabitation of God through the Spirit. He uses this phrase, fitly framed together. He uses the phrase, build it together. The enemy's only hope is to cause you to get away from the body, to cause disunity with you in your walk with God. The enemy would love to isolate you, make you feel like you're not part of, you're not good enough, you don't measure up. That's what the enemy wants to do. And Paul uses the exact opposite phrases. He uses phrases fitly framed together. Build it together. What, mean, what that means is there's going to be a piece missing if you're not there. It's not going to look complete. It's going to look like something's missing. Because God's idea is not that you would or I would be isolated in any way, but that we would live, he says, as a habitation of the household of God. I mean, you're part of him and he's part of you. That's the desire of God. Listen, everything about what the world's trying to do is to try to get you to a place of thinking that you don't fit in and you don't qualify. And unless you do this and this and this, you won't be recognized. All of those things are worldly ideas. When you come into the family, the kingdom, the presence of God, when he touches you with his spirit, doesn't matter what. That man would say, his presence is what brings you into his family. It's his spirit that makes you part of the building. Not talking about this building. I'm talking about the church of God. Not a building, not an organization, not... No, it's part of the church. This is not my church. This is his church. This is not our church. This is his church. We get to be part of the building fitly framed together because of the presence of God that's changed your life. Aren't you thankful for his presence? Man, let his presence touch you even right now as we speak. Let the presence of God just sweep over your soul right now. Let the power of his spirit just touch you and strengthen you and draw you into a greater relationship with him. You say, Pastor, preacher, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, there's lots of times when God's presence starts working on our lives and we, we, it's hard to figure it all out. But God, I'm just going to go one day at a time, one step at a time. I just desire to have more of you in my life than I had yesterday. And all of a sudden, something starts to happen in your life. And his presence starts to quicken your life. And your future purpose changes. Direction changes. How you think about yourself changes. And God starts working on our lives. Oh, thank God for his presence. You are what you eat. If you think you're terrible, then you probably will be. If you think that you can be everything that God wants you to be, guess what? You can be everything God wants you to be. 
If you think you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you, guess what? You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. I just refuse to live in the doldrums, in the depression, in overwhelm. Just refuse to give in to what the enemy tried to do to steal my joy. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.